So we're wrapping up First John tonight. And um, wrapping, I've decided wrapping up a book may be worse than starting one because usually when I start one, I have so much stuff that I want to say, but usually I'm like, oh, but I'll have, you know, in this case, I'll have 20 weeks to say it also. I'll have plenty of time, but now I realize there's no time left. So if I don't say it tonight, I don't get to say it. So um, I have lots of notes, but I'll try and talk really fast. I haven't had any espresso, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. So we've been saying all along, there's three major themes. Let's just wrap this up. Three major themes in the book of First John, right? There's, there, the first one is believe in Jesus. So are you with me? Believe in Jesus. And the second one is hate. Okay, we'll try. I'll lead you in a little bit. The first one is believe in Jesus. And the second one is hate and love. All right, so we'll try it again. So believe in, hate, love, believe in, hate, love, yeah, see, I know it's tricky because the answer to everyone isn't Jesus, which usually it is. So, uh, and so today we're, we're coming to the closing words, the final words of John in uh, the book, kind of the final information. And uh, I have to admit, I've been looking forward to this for a while uh, because it's an interesting passage. And it reminds me of, you know, how sometimes you'll be in a conversation and you're missing a piece of information and then you get the piece of information and it changes the whole conversation. Like I was thinking this, this week, I've had a few of those in my life. Maybe you have like years ago, I was out on a date with a young woman and who I eventually married, but we were out on a date and, um, and I think we'd gone out a couple of times, and the day was going great, and I thought the relationship was going great, and everything I thought was just clicking along, and we're out in front of the dorm after the date, and um, I'm just thinking it's going to you know, be a great wrap-up to the evening, and she says to me, she says, you know what, I, I just think we should be, anyone? Friends, yeah, and you know, it was just like, and actually, I, I, I told her, I, I actually, literally, I told her, I don't need any more friends, but that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but... But, you know, it's funny how you're going along and the evening's going great, you think the relationship, and then just one piece of information just kind of changes everything uh, about that. It kind of reminded me, I was thinking back when I was a youth pastor, like, you know, information, like when I was a youth pastor one time, I was speaking in front of a large group of kids, and I was speaking, and it was one of those times, and Matthias, maybe this happened to you, but you're up there, and everyone's like just on the edge of their seat, and they're listening to everything, and they're, and they're laughing at, they're laughing at every, I, like I can't, I, every joke is going over big, and they're totally, I, everything's going great, and I get to the end, and I'm just thinking, man, whew, I just, I did a great job, and afterwards, one of the kids came up and said, Pastor, your, your fly was down the whole time, and again, just kind of one of those, one piece of information that changes everything. I think I told you the, about this story, so for, I don't know, about the last eight years or so, um, we have um, some friends of our family, and they have a house in Rockaway, and so they, they're just one of those families that call and say, you haven't used our house in a while, when are you going down? So we, you know, we try it for them. We try to go down uh, a couple times a year to stay at their house at the beach, and um, we've been doing this, I don't know, probably eight years or so, and whenever we go down there, um, in the morning, it was kind of my ritual. I get up, and I take a walk down. It's right by Highway 101. I take a walk down the Highway 101, and I go to this little coffee shop, and I would get a mocha, and, you know, and then I'd drink it, in. There's just something about the coffee that was so good, and it was just, I'd feel good, and I'd feel energized, and the world was great. And so about a year ago, I went down there. So I've been doing this about eight years. I go down there one morning, and I'm just having, you know, talking to the lady, and we visit, and how's the weather, and how's business, and all this stuff. And then she says something. She says, would you like your usual four shots of espresso? 
And I was like, you know, it was like the, the wheels were turned. I'm like, four shots of what? You know, like I had, I didn't know I'd ever had four shots of espresso ever. And it, when she said that, I like changed everything. I'm like, oh, now I understand why I'm just so excited whenever I'm here in the morning and why I crash and burn every afternoon at the beach. I don't know. But sometimes just a little piece of information kind of changes things. And today as we're wrapping up the book of 1 John, I want to read this last passage for you. Um, John's writing and he says this, so we're going to pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 5. He says, now, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. And we know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And, and, and as I would read that, and maybe as you would, I'm like, oh, he's just, he's just repeating all of these great themes that we've talked about. And then comes the last verse, and he says this, Dear children, keep yourself from, from what? Right, so am I the only one who finds that just slightly strange? Because it, when you think about it, there's 104 verses in this letter, and not once in, in any of those verses, not once in the previous 19 weeks that we've been going through this letter, did he ever bring up the topic of, of idols. It's strange enough, given the theme of the book, that he would end with a command. But to think that he would end with a command like this without any explanation to me, is very interesting. So when you run across situations like that, you kind of want to backpedal a little bit and ask yourself, what, what clues do we have in the Bible about what he's talking about here? So we might want to go back and think a little bit about adultery. Or, adult, did I say adultery? Sorry. Idolatry. Okay. I, idolatry. We're going to get to adultery. We just, I wasn't planning to do it here yet. So idolatry in the Bible so you might go back to Exodus chapter 20. God gave Moses, you might remember, the Big Ten, and he begins with the topic of idolatry. In Exodus 23, he says this, Now you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or, or worship them. And so the first command that we have here is, you know, no idols, no idolatry. And then if you go to the last of the Ten Commands. It's kind of interesting. In verse 17, number 10 is this. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant or uh, pickup truck or flat screen TV or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when we read that and we read the New Testament, what we find is this, that covetousness, in fact, is idolatry. That's what Paul calls it. In Ephesians 5, it says this. Paul's writing, he says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or, notice, or covetous person who is a, a what? Idolater, okay, has an inheritance in the, in, uh, of Christ and, and God. So, idolatry here is interesting. Now, idolatry simply means to value anything or anyone more than the one true God. And so an idol can be, it can be a person. It could be the person you're dating, the person you're married to. It could be one of your children. It could be your dad, you know. It could be a possession, a toy, a house, a car. An idol could be a job. 
It could be maybe the authority or power that you have over other people. For some people, their idol is their religion. It's the thing that's actually more important to them than the one true God. It could be a hobby. And an idol is simply a God substitute. And when archaeologists look for idols, they're usually looking for stone statues and and carvings and, and painting. But biblical theology teaches us that idols are anything that takes God's rightful place in our lives. And therefore, idolatry, of course, is something that uh, is, is very germane to us today because idolatry is alive and flourishing, you may have noticed, in America. And so John's closing comments are very relevant to us today. I think the challenge is to understand what they mean for us in the context, which we're going to look at tonight. In fact, my suggestion is that the context suggests three things about idolatry that can help us. And the first that he says is this. We see this in verse 18 and 19. We've already read. The first thing is this. John wants to warn us that there is a terrible danger in in the world in which we live, and we need to be aware of that danger and that tendency towards idolatry. In verse 18, he says this. Now, we know that anyone born of God... So just We've talked a lot about that. Um, we've, we've got sermons about that and points about what it means to be born of God. He says they don't continue to sin. We've talked about that. The one who is born of God uh, keeps him safe. And the evil one, and this is kind of where I want to pick it up. Notice he says, and the evil one cannot harm him. So we are, we've been protected from being harmed by the evil one. And yet, he says this, we know that we are children of God and, I, and, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So he's talking about the evil one. We know he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the, the devil here. He calls him the evil one. And John is, is warning us that although we are in Christ, and again, we've talked a lot about this, although we are in Christ, we live in a very dangerous, a very hostile environment. Does that sound about right to you? In, in, a, in an environment that is very against what God is for in the world. And he calls us children. And I think he calls us that for a reason because we are like, we are like children living in a world with a terrible, with a, a horrible enemy. I don't know that there are any words to really describe our enemy and what it is that he wants to do to the world. So what do we compare Satan to? And this week I got to read a lot of commentaries and listen to different takes on this. And I think maybe one of the best pictures that we could get of Satan as we think about people and the idea of us being children and all that is maybe, and I apologize if this is hard to listen to, but maybe imagine a, a, someone who is a predator of children. And for those of you who have kids, you know, one of our, our greatest fears, uh, that there would be somebody in our community who would be a predator of children. It's a terrifying thought, but imagine somebody whose whole will is bent upon, upon abusing children. And imagine this person maybe uh, has a, you know, what would they have, like a van, all right? And uh, they're, they're cruising down a residential street after school, and uh, they're looking for a victim to lure into the van. And uh, imagine, you know, that, uh, trying to think of a scenario, maybe he's driving down the road, and uh, he's got some, he got some candy in the car, and he sees a child walking all by themselves, and so he pulls over, and he calls out to the, to the child. He says, hey, um, have you seen a, a dog? Have you seen a puppy around here? Because I have a puppy, and it got out of my, out of my house, and I can't find it. Right? And so the child says, well, no, you know, I haven't seen one. And imagine this, this man, this predator, says to the child, well, I, you know, I haven't seen it, and I, 
I'm really worried for my dog. Is there any way you could help me? Like, it's hard for me to drive and to see, but if you were in the van with me, then you could see and you could help me. And I, in fact, I know your family. I know where you live, so we could drive that way and I could take you home. I know your dad. And, uh, and besides, I got some candy here. And what kind of candy do you like? I got some Twix, you know, I got some Kit Kat. And, and uh, you could just come in and have a little candy and, you know, just between you and me, we won't tell your parents. And, and we could look for my dog and then I'll just drop you off at home. He's trying to gain the trust of the child, trying to lure the child into the van. So imagine, if you will, a, a terrible situation, but imagine that the child falls for it and, uh, and, and gets in the van and, and buckles up and reaches over and takes a piece of candy and starts eating, you know, eating it. And uh, the doors lock and they're driving down the road. And this young child doesn't know that he's just eaten candy that, that's poisoned. And he thinks he's on a fun adventure. And he's looking for a puppy dog. And he's eating a little candy before dinner, which he, he knows he's never supposed to do. And now he doesn't have to ride home. He doesn't have to walk home. He gets a drive. And, and he's kind of having fun. It's an adventure. It's going to be exciting, you know. But he's unknowingly on the way to his own destruction. In a, in, in a vehicle with somebody who wants to do unspeakable horrors to him. And that is just a mild picture of the enemy that we have in our world today, of Satan and what he wants to do to the world. And, and, and John's just saying, we need, to be, we need to be careful because we can be like, like silly little kids who, who think we're smarter than we are, who think we're more powerful than we are, who think we're more discerning you know, if somebody pulled over in a van, we're not stupid. We'd know not to get in. But Satan is pretty smart. And his goal for us is to get us involved in idolatry. Any, anything at all, anything that would put, you know, something else in life before God. And his bait, his candy that he waves to us out the window, it, it could be anything, whatever it is that we'll fall for. For some people, it's money. You know, for some people, it calls out and says, you know, life is money. There's nothing more important than that. You want some money? I got some money. Hop in the van. I'll give you, I'll give you some money. It's going to be a great ride. You're going to have fun. What is it? Popularity? Is it, is it power? Is that your thing? Is it stuff? Is it toys? Is it possessions? Satan's more than happy to give that to you, to wave that out in front of you. Is it a job? Is it, is it intellectualism? Is it sex? And, you know, what, what is it? He's happy to offer that to you. And notice what he says that, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. See, when I read that, that's, that kind of got my attention because what it's saying is he's good at it. <laughs> he's really good at this thing. And, and quite frankly, most of us, we're just suckers for him because he's smarter than we are and he's, he's cunning. And the picture here, if you get it, is that the whole world, that is those outside of Christ, the whole world has taken the bait. The smart ones, the intellectual ones, the rich ones, the astute ones, all of them have fallen for it. They're eating the candy. They're in the van. They're on the road to destruction. And the whole time, there's there's no warning bells going off for them. There's no fighting or scratching or trying to get out of the van. There's no recognition of of impending danger. And I think John's trying to warn us, don't be foolish, silly little children. When it comes to this stuff, when it comes to idolatry, don't, don't be a fool. 
Peter Kraft, a, a Christian philosopher, says this. He said, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it's idolatry. And by the way, I just say this. If you want to have fun, if you do this, because I like to go on uh, blogs of atheists, and here's what I've discovered. Nothing makes them madder than this quote right here. Just infuriates them. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it's idolatry. And see, in our society, idolatry, is the, it's the norm when you think about it. In fact, there's so much idolatry in our society. I think part of the problem is we, don't, we often don't see it. We often don't discern it when we see it on TV. Oftentimes we've seen it so much we don't recognize it. When we see the advertisements and, and it's basically promoting idolatry and we don't, we don't get it because we're so used to it. So much of the music in our culture today. And so much of the, the, the TV promotes idolatry, and yet it's interesting to me how many Christians are like silly little kids, and we watch it, and we listen to it, and we laugh at it. Oh, it's just a TV show. I know it's promoting immorality. I know it's promoting idolatry, but it's okay. It's just a song. And we don't realize what's really happening. We're just, we're eating the candy. We're just going along. The relational norms in our society today, the the sexual norms in our society today, the way people approach hobbies and and, and stuff and ethics and money, and just so much of it is idolatry. And for so many of us, we don't even see it anymore because we have an enemy who's good, and we just don't take him seriously. John says, wise up. John says, you need to be careful. Don't be listening to this stuff. Don't be hoping in this stuff. Don't be eating this with this stuff, sleeping with this stuff. You need to recognize, recognize it for what it is. It's, it's idolatry. And as Christians, we need to fight it and yell at it and, and kick it and sucker punch it and run, you know, and get out of that. There, don't, don't watch it. Don't listen to it, but get away from it. I would just ask you, does your, does your life and the way you live reflect Christ? on the throne, or does it reflect idolatry? Are your priorities more influenced by the world's culture or by God? Is your schedule more influenced by Christ or by the ways of the world, your relationships, your entertainment choices? John would say, wise up, just you need to understand when it comes to idolatry, I'm warning you because the devil is good at this, at, at, at sucking people into this. Don't be foolish, he says. And here's the second thing I see in the context when it comes to being able to deal with idolatry. First is you just need to know who you're up against and that it's serious business. And the second one is this. What you need is, and we've talked a lot about this in the series, is you need truth. You need, you need the truth. You need to know the truth. And you need to, we're going to say, live in the truth. Now in verse 20, he says this, and we know that the Son of God has come. He's talked a lot about that in this, in this letter. And has given us, notice, understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So you might notice if you're taking notes, you might underline the key word in the passage there, true, true, and true. So he's trying to make a point here. He's talking about what is true. We might think as we see that, he's talking about what is real. What is, what is reality here? Reality, John would say, is that, that Jesus came and he revealed what is true. He revealed Reality. What did he reveal? He revealed that God really exists. He revealed that God is good. He revealed that God is light, that God is love. He revealed that God is not a figment of our imagination. 
that he is the ultimate reality of the world, the ultimate reality of, of our existence. But of course, again, we live in a world, and maybe you've noticed this, a world that kind of promotes lies about reality. We live in a world where there's a lot of distortion of reality and, uh, and lies. For instance, you, you'll find in our society, some people may say, well, reality is religion. And, you know, there is a God, they'll say, but, you know, you've got to work your way to him. You've got to earn his, his approval, earn his favor. And so that's a, that's a, a distortion of reality uh, that the that society would put out there. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, there is no God. So we might call that atheism or naturalism or materialism, but just the idea that the only thing that exists is, is mater- what is material, what is, what is natural. And when we die, we're done. There's no life after death. There's none of that. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'll hear in our society uh, kind of an inclusive spirituality where there's, there's many paths to God. There's many ways to get right with him and they're all just one's just as good as another. Never mind that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life and no one comes to the Father but through me. But we hear a lot of that, uh, especially here in the Northwest. Uh, our agnosticism, that is that you really can't know. So, you know, why bother? Don't, don't worry about it. We'll all figure it out. It's probably all gonna be fine in the end. But the goal is this. Satan is working through our society to get you to doubt what is true, what is real about God. Because what is real about God is what is real, period. And I, I just wonder, as I was thinking this week and had a few conversations with people, and it's, it's always interesting, like, it doesn't, it almost feels like a conversation you shouldn't have, but I asked a few people this week, I'm like, so do you ever, you know, do you ever wrestle with faith? Do you ever doubt the existence of God? And I think most of the time, as, as, as good Christians, we don't want to admit that, but I find that a lot of people, when they're really honest, will admit, yeah, sometimes I, I wrestle with that. Sometimes I, I have my moments, and, uh, you know, where I'm kind of wondering, is this just wishful thinking, or, you know, are we just kind of playing a game here every weekend? And, and when I ask people, like, what are, the, what are the difficult things for you that make you kind of wonder if, if God is real, what reality is, is like. And I don't know what those would be for you, but I had some people say, well, f- you know, it's funerals. There's just something about going to funerals and, and seeing somebody there that I knew, and, you know, now they're not there, and it makes me wonder. I kind of look, and I wonder, are they with God in heaven? Is, is, are they not? Because it doesn't look that good. And I think one of the problems with funerals is it's always kind of you're looking at your future, aren't you? And it kind of makes you think deep thoughts. It makes you question some things. And by the way, I would just say this, I don't, I, I mean, God's a big boy. God can take care of himself, the Holy Spirit, you know, he can answer questions. I think it's okay when you're talking with God to admit what's really going on, if you're doubting, if you're, if you're you know, kind of wrestling through things, because he knows it anyways. But some people said to me, uh, you know, funerals are the hard one, or difficult circumstances, when I'm going through something tr- really hard, and I prayed about it, and it's not getting better, and it just keeps going on, and I keep wondering, where's God in all this? I had some people tell me, I think maybe it's the one I kind of resonated with the most, I had somebody tell me, man, the hardest thing for my faith is when I, when I see Christians being jerks. Actually, I can kind of relate to that. It's, it's, it's hard when you see Christians acting like there is no God. It's, it's difficult. It makes you wonder, where's God in that? And how could God allow that? And I don't know, maybe we talked about that last week, if you think back. But that can be a little difficult at times. If you ask John, have you ever had doubts? Did you ever wrestle with the reality of God? And, and I don't know what John would say, but if you asked him, how did you deal with your doubt? John would say, well, that's easy. <laughs> it was Jesus, right? He's like, I don't know, something about seeing him in the flesh. Something about hearing his words, 
Something about watching him feed all those people with, you know, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Something about, I don't know, watching him die on a cross, standing next to his mom. And, you know, there's the earthquake and the veil ripping in two and uh, people coming out of the graves. And then, I don't know, something about, you know, being locked in a room and then just walking through. And, I don't know, something about that. And, you know, John would say that Jesus revealed the realness of the one true God. And we've talked about this a lot during this series, but, you know, the question would be, why should we believe John? What makes John a credible witness when it comes to Christ? And John would point us all the way back to the beginning of of the letter where we started this series uh, 20 weeks ago. He said, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, this is John. John is going, what we have heard, that would be John, what he heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was, was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed, because just making this clear to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and heard, just in case you missed it, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. This was the stuff that John saw, the stuff that John heard, what John touched, what John experienced. And John is passing this on as a credible witness to us. Jesus' life demonstrates the Father's reality, that Jesus got off his throne in heaven, that he came down and entered into human history, that to us he revealed the truth of God, the the realness of God. He lived it out. He loved and, and he showed us the path to be right with God. He revealed truth regarding the Father, reality, sin, and salvation. And John got to see it and got to hear it firsthand. But of course, the question might be, what about us? 2,000 years later, we didn't get to, you know, didn't get to be there, didn't get to see what John saw, didn't get to hear what John heard. So what about us? How do we deal with that? And John kind of says two things in this passage for us that I think are important. First of all, he says this. He says that truth is something we can know. Now, he said this repeatedly in this letter, that truth is something we can know through, as we study God's word, as the Holy Spirit testifies to us, as we spend time talking with God in prayer, I think as we, as, as we spend life in community with one another and living that out, God is able to, in our heart, confirm the truth of his word. And many of you could stand up tonight and say, yeah, I could, I could give you testimony about that because he has made that known to me. But John says something else here that he's said several times, actually 11 plus times in this letter, and that is that truth is also something that we live in. So it's not just something we know, but it's something that we live in. He put it this way, and we are in him who is true. Now, when he says in him, um, if you you sit back and, and look at the entire letter again, and think about some of, the, some of the words and phrases that John uses. It's been noted that when he says um, that we are in him, it sounds a lot like a, a similar word that he's used over 11 times, and that is the idea of abiding in God. Because to be in Christ, John makes clear, to be in Christ is, is to abide in Christ. To abide means to remain. We talked about uh, grasping on to him. Uh, It also means to obey him, to live in that kind of relationship with him. And again, John has said again and again that at the heart of this uh, abiding, at the heart of this living in that context is, is a love 
for God. That's kind of the thing that glues it all together. In chapter 5, verse 3, we read this. John said, this is love for God. What does love for God look like? To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. And just by way of review, what John was saying was that if you, that if you, if you have that truth of God in you, and if you trust that God is good, and that God is real, and that he is light, and that he is love, then, then doing what he commands will be the very thing you want to do. Does that make sense? Because if he is who he says he is, then, then you'll want to obey him because you trust him. And you trust that his commands are always what, what are best for you. And John says several times in this letter that one of the, the benefits of living, one of the benefits of abiding in Jesus One of the benefits of being obedient to him and living in that kind of relationship is that we receive an assurance through that. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 14, he says this. Notice the, the assurance and condition here. He says, we know, so that's an assurance. He says, we know we have passed from death to life. We know that we are now in Christ. He says, because we, notice, because we love our brother. So he says, we know that is there's a way to have assurance. And how do we, how do we get that? It's through obedience to Christ. It's about living in Christ, walking with Christ, abiding in him. See, when we said this, we don't obey Christ to earn eternal life. We're saved by grace. It is a free gift of God. Instead, the reason that we obey and walk in, in this relationship with Christ is because when we live a life that's rooted in truth, we're going to want to obey. And when we obey, that's where we experience the assurance, he says, of eternal life. It's where we experience the power of God and the presence of the Spirit and answered prayers we talked about last week and spiritual awareness and, and spiritual insight. So idolatry is, is the result of believing lies. Lies like there is no God or he's not good or God's holding out on you or he, he, he can't be trusted to meet all of your needs. So you've got to go out and look for that yourself. John says the solution is to know the truth, that is to know Jesus Christ and to live in the truth, to live a life that reflects the reality of Jesus' identity and his, and his teaching and the cross. And the result is that living in truth, when we know this truth and we live in it, it helps keep us idol-free. And the third thing that he says in the context here, and this is kind of so obvious, um, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those duh statements, but when John says in verse 21, when he ends this way, and when he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, what he's doing is he's putting in negative terms something that he's been asserting throughout 1 John, which is love God, right? Uh, Abide in God. Uh, Obey God. God. Give him the first place. That All that basically means the same thing. When he has first place in your life, then you'll live in obedience to him. I think what he's saying here is that the key, one of the great keys to keeping yourself from idolatry is to live a life of worship. To think about actively worshiping God with your life. Worship simply means to ascribe worth to something. And we do that all the time. We ascribe worth to things through our words, we ascribe worth to things through the way we spend our time. We, uh, we worship things through the way we spend our money, through our affections, through our relationships and our choices. And we were all designed to worship 
something. It could be ourselves. It could be money. Uh, some people worship their job. That is, it has the first thing in their life, um, the first place in their life. For some people, it's their possessions or their popularity or sex or whatever it is. And, you know, God is, is willing to, to bless you with some of these things. And, and here's the thing. If he blesses you with some of these, that, that's great. Enjoy the blessing, but never allow the blessing that comes from God to become the idol, to become the first place, to have the throne in your life. And I think John is just warning us, if we're not careful, the blessings that God gives us can become idols in our life and slowly push him off of the throne. I read a quote this week that was great. A guy said this, your goal in the Christian life in this context is not to just stop sinning, but to start worshiping Jesus. Because oftentimes when we get rid of one idol, it's human nature, we're going to replace it with something. And if we don't replace it with God, then we'll probably just replace it with another idol. So if you, you know, you were worshiping the idol of laziness and you somehow got rid of that, it's human tendency to find something else. So maybe you'll become a workaholic. But what he's saying here is the best thing to do is to replace that with God, to put him on the throne that the best way Uh, The sure way to stop worshiping idols is to actively be worshiping God. I mean, it's just, it's common sense. Because if your time is going to worshiping Jesus, uh, then there isn't time left to worship idols. If, If your money is, if you're using that to worship God, then there's no money left to spend on worshiping idols. If, you're to, if, the, if the first thing that you do in all of your decisions is to seek a way to give God the first place, then that's worship. If your relationships are focused on, on, on God and, and the teaching of Christ. I mean, it's, it's really hard to be, you know, reading your Bible and, and singing praise songs and committing adultery. I told you we were going to get to that sooner or later, right? I mean, just trying to imagine when your mind, when your life is occupied with God and worshiping God and giving him the first place, the best way I think that he's saying here, and he puts it in negative terms, but the best way to avoid idolatry is to worship God. It's just that simple. In fact, I was thinking this afternoon, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, but we all know there's a way to worship God with our life, and there's a, a way to be involved in idolatry. There's a way to put God first, and there's a way to put something else first. And I, I know this is probably going to be e- extremely, maybe, you know, juvenile for you to put it this way, but let me just kind of spell it out and see if this makes sense. So I thought of it this way. Um, There is a way for us, for instance, to gather together and worship God, and there's a way to gather together that's just idolatry. And there's, there's plenty of groups that get together in the name of God, but it's just idolatry. What makes the difference? It's what we put at the center. There's a, there's a danger sometimes for us to slowly put other things besides God at the center of our church, at the center of our preaching, at the center of our worship and our fellowship. There's a way we can gather together and worship the true God. There's a way that we can get together and just be involved in idolatry. There's a way for us to sing that's worship, and there's a way for us to sing that is not. Which way were you singing tonight? There, there is a way to pray that is worship. And there's a way to pray that, quite frankly, is just nothing more than idolatry. There is a way to do your job that is worship to God. And there's a way to do your job that's just idolatry. Again, I know I'm getting repetitive, but 
It's trying to stretch your thinking. There's a way for you to go to school that is worship, and there's a way for you to go to school that's just idolatry. John's saying, keep yourselves from idols. There's a way to go on a date. Look at anybody. There's a way to go on a date that is worship, right, when you're 30, right? That's how it works. That's what I said. There's a way to go on a date that's worship. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And there's a way to go on a date that's nothing more than idolatry. John says, keep yourself from idols. There's a way to be married that is worship. And there's a way to be married that is just, that's, it's idolatry. There's a way to use your money. Am I boring you yet? There's a way to use your money that's, that's worship. And there's a way to use your money that's, that's what? Idolatry. Yeah. John says, keep yourself from idols. There's a way to use your free time as worship. And there's a way that you can use your, your free time that's just nothing more than idolatry. John says, keep yourself from idols. There's a way to be entertained. There's, a, there, there's stuff you can watch on TV and music you can listen to that's worship. And there's stuff that you can watch on TV and, and music you can even listen to that no matter how much you try to convince yourself otherwise, it's, it's idolatry. John's saying, keep yourself from idols. There's a way to be a neighbor that's worship. And there's a way to be a neighbor that's just idolatry. There's a, there's a way to eat your meals. Some of you are going to go to Taco Bell tonight. I don't understand that, but you're going to go to Taco Bell. I wonder who's going to Taco Bell. And there's a way, I know it sounds crazy, I know it sounds ridiculous. There's a way to go to Taco Bell and have it be worship. <laughs> that, that there is. And there's a way to go and just have it be idolatry. There's a way to deal with the problems in your life that are worship. And there's a way to deal with the problems in your life that are nothing more than idolatry. John says, keep yourselves from idols. That's his one last thing. And maybe for some of you tonight, you know, you just, you've been sitting here realizing you've been, you've just been in the van, eating the candy, along for the ride. And tonight the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and said, it's time for you to get out of the van. It's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you a, a, a chance in a moment to do that. I want to pray with you give you a chance to give your life to Christ, to receive the grace, the rescue of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you tonight, you're here and you're like, you know, you realize as we've talked that God has blessed you, but you've taken some blessing in your life and you've, you've kind of turned it into an idol. It could be a relationship. It could be a possession. It could be money. And as you think about it, you're like, it's kind of crazy because God's the one who gave it to you, but you've, you've allowed it to kind of push God off the throne of your life. Maybe for some of you, it's the pursuit of something that you asked God for and he didn't give it to you, so you've taken matters into your own hands. And, and, and that's become your idol. You're going to get it anyways. Maybe for some of you, you're just here tonight and you're just, you're happy. You're like, I knew Satan was a jerk and I'm, you know, I, I didn't get in the van and I've been there, but I'm worshiping God. And I say, good for you. Enjoy it. Worship God with everything that you have. So we're going to close by responding because what else would we do? We're going to worship. And as we close, there are several ways that you can, because like I said, you can do all this as worship or not. So we're going to pray in a moment in a way that 
I hope is worship for you. And uh, I want to encourage you. If, if God's just been speaking to you tonight, and we're going to sing in a minute, we're going to take the offering, and you're like, I just need to pray, then you just, you worship God through prayer. Maybe for you tonight, the way to worship God is you need to confess and repent something tonight. You just, you need to. And you could come up, talk to me. You could talk to somebody you know who's here, who's a spiritual person, a pastor, deacon, and we'd love to be able to pray with you. That's the way you could worship tonight. For some of you in a minute, we're going to sing and and that would be a great way for you to worship as we sing, to sing the words from your heart to your Lord and Savior. Uh, you'll have a chance in a minute to worship through giving, to show God that he's first in your life by giving him a portion of what he's blessed you with. Uh, when we're all done here, all right, and we, and we sing the last song, and we say you're done and you can go, you'll, you'll still have the chance to worship, won't you? Some of you will go, like I said, they're going to go to Taco Bell and worship. Some of you, you're more sophisticated. You might go to Las Dos, right, something like that. Or you could just hang out here, but it's a chance to worship. And for all of us, my prayer is that one of the ways we worship God is that we go from here tonight and we take the, the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighborhoods and our schools and, and wherever we were. Let's worship God.